0: We would like to offer our respects to the traditional elders of all generations upon whose lands this podcast has been created, including the Kamaregal people of the Eora Nation. We'd also like to extend that respect and recognition to all First Nations listeners. How well do you think you know someone? Perhaps your initial impressions are all wrong. What if their real stories are more interesting? More amazing and more surprising than you ever expected. This is, let me tell you, from SBS Voices. I'm Sarah Malik and I'm Caitlin Chang, and we are your hosts as we hear the unexpected stories behind ordinary people's lives.
1: All of these stories were originally written for SBS Voices, Australia's home of diverse storytelling, but we thought they were so good they deserved to be spoken out loud. So religion is a dicey issue
0: at the best of times, but when you add sexuality to the mix, it definitely becomes conversation that is too hot for a dinner table. Our next writer, Mark Mariano, goes there. When your mom is a churchgoer and your family performs choir, but you're a self-described geyson, what do you do?
1: Yeah, Mark does such a great job in this story of gently probing how you deal with the multiple fractures in your life when you're struggling to belong, not only to the mainstream, but to your family and to your religion. I love hearing
0: about how he does that.
1: Hint, hint, it involves Beyonce
0: and the universe. So here is Mark Mariano reading, I Miss the Music, Life as a Queer Ex-Mormon.
2: It always comes as a shock when I tell people I was born and raised Mormon. It may be because I'm very clearly, you know, gay as hell. My voice twangs upwards, and I sway when I walk. I look nothing like the suited up teens with neat hair, shivering at Duneside Station, handing out those church pamphlets to people who clearly aren't interested. I left the church a decade ago at 14. I told people it was because I needed to start earning money. In all fairness, Sunday rates were at the prime at the time, but it was much deeper than that. My mom is a ragingly religious 60-something Filipino lady. And despite her age, she's surprisingly energetic. Especially during those old Sunday mornings. She'd shake me and my four siblings awake, her voice booming a hymn I've probably heard a million times in my life. She ran a tight ship, which was no easy feat with five very different kids. Despite living down the road, we'd get to church around, say, 9.15am. Sacrament started at nine. That's Filipino time for you. There was the watered down cordial, the stale bread and the white pillars that held the building together. The ones that towered over our Toyota van, filled to the brim with freshly showered Filipinos. She loved the first Sundays of the month. That was Testimony Day. Members of the church were encouraged to come up to the Mahogany podium and share something that happened in their lives that they were able to turn into a learning moment with Jesus Christ. Mum would sit at the edge of her seat, rearing to go up. She was very fast for someone as plump as she was, and she would beat out all the other mums. At the mic, she'd whisper a quick prayer before delving into how well her kids did at school or how she had helped a stranger with something. I promise she's a humble person, but I'm sure she's sunbathed in the pouts of the other mums. Growing up under her kind but watchful eyes, I was just as devout as her. I prayed every night, tried my hardest not to watch The Simpsons, and I drank LA ice instead of coke as caffeine was not allowed by the faith. But when my parents separated, and my ideas of love and family stopped making sense, religion soon followed. I felt strange about black people not being allowed in the church before 1978. Why were there no women bishops? Why was I being taught how to lead and my female counterparts were being taught to support? Why did my mom run the ship at home, but it was my constantly napping dad that took the ship's wheel in public? Why did the other moms keep asking mine why she couldn't just sort things out with my dad, like it was only her responsibility? As much as I try not to... I remember the whispered conversations in chalky hallways and the snide looks that would make my heart race as I swayed to class. I'd almost forgotten the boys who used to be my best friends, making fun of the twang in my voice. I can barely recall the testimonies, the ones that would stifle any expression of sexuality or be warnings for anyone with impure thoughts. After gradually coming to terms with the Gaysian inside, I felt like I had to make a choice. I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I'd have to either hide my truth inside those white pillars or live my truth outside of them. Despite leaving the church, there's parts of me that bristles at anti-Mormon prejudice. Other parts of me carry Mormonism wherever I go. You know, like my love for my family and my distaste for coffee. Because of the church, I very much believe in a higher power. But they're just not white, or chiseled, or bearded, or in linen robes. Some days it's Beyoncé, other days it's my mom. It's my ancestors, reincarnated as white butterflies, watching me make mistakes and cry over stupid boys. It's the universe pushing me and guiding me through tough decisions. There are things that I gladly left behind in those chalky walkways. You know, I stopped folding my arms in prayer, begging for someone to make me straight. My Bible holder, now frayed, sits alone somewhere in an old cupboard, but I do miss the music. I miss the smell of the tattered green hymn books and harmonizing with my family during Christmas. I miss the rivalry my sister had with the other choir leader. I miss the other teen brown friends I made who shared my feelings of rebellion and belonging. I might take my mom up on one of her many offers to join her at Sacramento. I've heard things have changed, but that's up to me, and perhaps Beyonce. I'll set an alarm and pick mom up, and I'll drive my Toyota sedan, and maybe we'll make it on time.
0: That was Mark Mariano reading his piece. I miss the Music, Life as a Queer Ex-Mormon. Thank you for that, Mark, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Look, there's so much going on in your piece. It's such a beautiful and nuanced piece. And, you know, growing up gay, growing up working class, being a Mormon, what was that like for you, being weighed down with all of that?
2: Um, it, was, it was very intense, um, I think as a kid, we don't usually notice these things or we're not very conscious of the world. Um, but like I mentioned in the piece, you know, my my parents separated when I was a young teen and it was, sort of felt like my whole world had fallen apart. And, you know, you you learn a lot about yourself. You You sort of define your life and your identity during this time. It is such a pivotal time. And so that was really, it was a big shock for me. And it was a big sort of like reset, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. Like, who am I? Who do I want to be? What type of person do I want to be? You know, am I going to be okay from here on in? So that confusion and that that sort of just ambiguity in that stage of my life, at that stage of my life, was was a little heartbreaking And um, but I'm doing what I can as an adult to be kind to the younger version of myself um, that needed that, you know, affection and love.
0: Yeah, I love that. You know, uh, there was a journalist who once asked James Baldwin if being um, poor, black and gay made him feel disadvantaged Mm -hmm. as a young writer. And he said, no, I thought I had hit the jackpot. (laughs) It was so outrageous. I had to find a way to use it. And so I guess one of the byproducts of that experience is that it does make for really good art and an interesting and complicated
2: identity. It does, you know, and I'm, I'm very empowered with who I am today, you know, um, and that, that off, also off the back of just this incredible self-care and self-love journey that I've been on for almost half my life where I'm sort of just redefining what those things mean to me. Are they thing? Are they weaknesses, or are they actually strengths? At the end of the day, um, and so yeah, I'm trying to. It's it's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing journey. What was it like for you sharing that journey? Because you know,
0: religion can be a controversial issue, but I think you approached it with such love and so much gentleness. And this is really your own personal experience with faith, not about anybody else, but just you, what were the kind of reactions that you got with the piece as well?
2: I operate with this quote in mind, um, be who you needed when you were younger. And I needed someone who was proud of who they were. And I needed someone who was vocal and told their stories. Um, and so that's why writing this piece, uh, was it was hard to sort of reprocess all of that, but it was... It was important. I very much view it as as something that I had to do, and you know. And I think the younger version of myself will be very appreciative that there's people talking about these things. I'm very clearly not the only person going through this. I think being queer and being religious is a is a is a very difficult thing for some people to process. Um, and I got some of that. You know, I I I got so many messages of support of basically just people going through the same thing um not being able to reconcile that those parts of their lives being religious or having a higher power and also being queer. Um, and so I did get a couple of messages from like former church mates and even some from my family. Um, but they weren't too harsh like and I'm very grateful and it's it, and I say this with a lot of privilege but thankfully none of it was hyper negative none of it was aggressive um, if anything sort of people came hoping to learn and to educate uh, but yeah I think an old friend of mine who's who's quite devout in the church did say that things have changed, had changed had sort of said you know please come in we've things are different for queer people. We're, we're, more, we're a lot more com- inclusive now than we ever have been. And I sort of, I appreciated the sentiment, but I also countered that with asking like, have the policies changed? H- are things different with, when it comes to queer members or queer parents uh, who want to be part of the church? You know, are women still not allowed to be bishops? Um, and when that hadn't changed and when they told me that nothing really had changed from a, from a structural perspective, I sort of knew that it was saying things like that, saying things that we've changed and that, you know, we're more inclusive now. Those are very... It felt very performative.
0: What did your family say to you after the piece came out?
2: Yeah, I think the biggest tension or the biggest point of tension was, I think, from one of my older siblings. Um, It was a very brief conversation and it was all in passing. And it was talking, we were talking about queerness and how it had evolved, and especially within the church. And she had really stood her ground in saying that what I had experienced was was what I'd experienced. That I'd gone through it, but not everyone goes through it like that. But, you know, I know that it comes from a place of love, and I know that um, breaking away from such rigid structures, especially like a religion or a church, can be really hard to do, and it's hard to see the other side. So um, I think this is gonna be an ongoing conversation with my family, and that's completely okay. I have the energy, I, I have the mindset. Um, I didn't when I was younger, but I do now.
1: Tell us a bit about that breaking away moment. You mentioned in the piece that your parents separated and that was a bit of a catalyst. But was there one particular moment that made you realize that the church wasn't for you?
2: I think, you know, at that time and at that age, you're so impressed impressionable like so many things can influence how you view the world and you know at the time like my relationship with internet and social media was also blooming um, I think just understanding that there's this great grand and beautiful diverse world outside of the one that I had grown up in was a was a really big eye-opener for me like um, understanding other religions, other spiritualities, seeing the beautiful diversity that comes from there, it just didn't fit, feel right. This can't just be the one single truth that I live for the rest of my life.
1: Right. And who was the first person that you told that you were going to
2: leave the church, and how did that conversation go? I don't think it was a single conversation. I think it was very ongoing, I think, especially around that 13 and 14 age Um my siblings and I, or most of my siblings and I, I'm, I'm one of five, about three or four of us started to really slowly detach from the church. We would stop coming with our mom on Sundays. We would say that we're working or we've got something with school. And those were also just the realities of our life. Like when we were old enough, we needed to start earning money. Yeah, You know, we, our dad was our breadwinner for a very long time and to help him and to best help him and our mom especially after the separation, we had to step up. And, and so while there were a few sort of conversations around why I didn't come or like my mom would occasionally step in and say, you know, why aren't you coming with me? It was never anything that was enforced. I think a big part of the religion, which I think not many people know about, is that there's this, there's this essence of free agency, um, where it's, you make this choice, but you must deal with the con- mm. consequences. And so I think my mom adopted a very similar mindset where it was like, okay, that's fine. Don't come to church anymore. You'll deal with the consequences in the afterlife. Um and so that at the time that was a little scary, but as you yeah, grew up
1: that's a big that's thing terrifying. for a mom. To just, it's you know.
2: So terrifying. It's confronting
1: 13 um, <laughs> <for> year old mom. <laughs> it's
2: it's so it's so intense. But um at the same time and when I and when I look back at that period of my life, um, there are things that she was going through that I would never understand and, and never be able to understand. Um and so all I can do now is just look back on those times with a very open mind and understand that there were pressures there for her too.
1: Yeah. You use humour a lot in the piece. That image of your mum kind of running up to the pulpit to, you know, give her testimony was just, I just love it so much. It was so funny. Is humour a deliberate thing on your part?
2: In that particular moment, yes, it was It was very deliberate. But I also wanted to be quite literal. Um, I think also just in the realms of like, it being a, a part of my mom as a Mormon, but also as my mom as a Filipina woman, like she, especially when it comes to our culture, we're very focused on the external. We're very focused on how we appear to other people, especially when it comes to gossip or, or rumors. Um, my mom very much wanted to present us as a family and as a unit with these great contenders, with these great smart kids who get great grades. Um, And she wanted to be the first one. She wanted to let the other moms know that she's got the best kids in the world. Um, And so while, you know, I approach that with a little bit of humor, there is truly a reality in that. And um, it's in our blood and in our bones.
0: (laughs) So church is also kind of a newsletter to show off. 100%.
2: 100%.
0: I love that. She sounds like such a proud mama. I really relate to this piece because this idea of living between two worlds and not really fitting into either is something I think a lot of people can identify with. And it's so brave and courageous to leave something that you no longer feel like you fit into, particularly when there are so many beautiful associations with it still. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about the music, the community. All of that, and that's heartbreaking to leave. Um, it's like being in exile. It's very lonely. Um, I guess have you found a way to create your own community and also make peace with the old community?
2: You know, I think you know navigating this world as a queer person, I'm I'm automatically looking for my chosen family. Um, you know, it could it could sometimes be by chance, or I just meet a great friend, um, and so. In forging this new version of myself, or in forging this this melded and mixed version of myself, I'm finding others who are also in the same boat, and we can relate over these things. Um, and it's been great so far. I've made some incredible friends and connections, you know, and keeping in contact with some of my old church friends and friends from that time. I don't think I've I don't think I've actually ever truly said goodbye to it you know i don't think i'll ever need to you know from, from in the in the grand scheme of things i haven't technically left the church you know i'm still a member i'm still in their records somewhere it's a little annoying when when people come knocking at my door um now i'm so sorry babes i'm not at the church anymore but um it's it's, like I said, it's going to be something that I'm going to continually be thinking about. And this will be a constant journey for me. You know, like Miley Sarah said, it's about the climb. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be a destination with this. And I'll do what I can in, in meeting other people in, in similar situations to help provide some comfort and you know show them that it's doable show them that we can break free from from the world we thought we was going to be the rest of our worlds for the rest of our lives and that's completely okay and we're going to be alive and we're not going to burn to hell um and that's all i can do on my end
1: what's your relationship with spirituality
2: like now um you know ever since that sort of since i wrote that piece not much has changed i think you know i still very much blend The different types of spiritualities and higher powers, I still, you know, I always still get a little bit emotional whenever I see a butterfly. And I know it's a bit bit weird because we see butterflies all the time, but there have been moments where I'm going through something or it's this big pivotal moment in my life and I see a butterfly and I just feel this immense relief it's like this This great peace washes over me. And I very much think that that's my grandparents. Um, you know, to speak more about Filipino culture, like we are so deeply connected to the people who came before us. Um, and it's a big part of who we are to always acknowledge our past. Um, and so that's that's been, been really interesting. And in terms of like the internet, not to get too crass, but like, you know, consuming sexual adult content at yeah. the time, and and you know, really growing into myself as a teenager and to now as a young adult, um, that just really breaking the mold. I think I really needed that. I really needed that to be the person who I am today. I can't imagine what the type of person I'd be if I was still at church. Like, would I still be carrying around a Book of Mormon? Or will I um, only listen to safe music and never listen to Destiny's Child? Like, I can't even imagine that. That's impossible. Like, I need them to come back. I can't survive without them. I'm but not a survivor. What
0: I really love about this piece is that it's so gentle and so loving and there's so much that you've inherited from the church that you're proud of, including your love of music.
2: Music's always going to be a part of my life. You know, our our mom passed on this incredible gift to us, which was her voice. All five of us as kids can sing. My dad can't sing for crap, which I love. He sounds like a bullhorn, which is really <laughs> cute. Um, but all five of us, we could sing and we can hold a tune. And we've carried that gift with us ever since we were young and, and we... Originally, only purely associated that with our culture and with our religion. But now it, it, it's bled into so many other aspects of our life. Um, and so, yeah, I, I will always carry the sort of the hymns, which is funny because I'm looking for hymns. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Um, and so, you know, love that uh, I music will always be a part of my life.
0: Thank you so much, Mark. That's a beautiful note to end on. Uh, Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me.
1: And that's it for this episode. Join us next time when we chat to writer Linda Augusto, who explores how she dealt with a family secret and embraced it as a source of celebration. That's like a puzzle that you kind of digging away to find pieces of this puzzle to put together a whole. And there's still so many questions. There's often more questions than answers. But I guess when I really started to feel confident was when we started to find some of those answers to the questions we were asking.
0: Let Me Tell You is produced by Sarah Malik and Caitlin Chang with audio by Jeremy Wilmot and Max Gosford. Our executive producers are Natalie Hambly and Danielle Teutsch. If you'd like to read more of our stories, head to the SBS Voices website at sbs.com.au forward slash voices.